0: open up the scriptures because it really paints a picture of god that if we have it all in context is this incredible story of god chasing after us and pursuing us and wooing us and wanting a relationship with us and going to the the most incredible unfathomable lengths uh, that we could even dream up to to try to catch us and and not not to put us in a cage but really to set us free
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Otherwise Podcast, a place for gathering wise conversations on living well along the journey with Jesus. My name is Casey. I am your host, and I'm glad to be here, and I hope you are too. We are talking about uh, a book today uh, with our guest, Jonathan Pakluda. Jonathan is the campus pastor of the Dallas campus for Watermark Church in Dallas, Tejas, Texas. And uh, he started something there, was part of something that started there called The Porch, which was a a young adult's ministry that he has been leading and has seen a lot of stuff happen from it, a lot of growth happened from it, but also been able to work with students, um, a lot of students from it. And so He's going to be talking about uh, this book, "Welcome to Adulting." That's all about uh, <laughs> it's all about growing up. It's all about becoming an adult. And so, uh, especially if you are in the like eighteen to twenty five range, and you're thinking about okay, what do I do next, and how do I approach life with character? Uh, this is this is going to be a good conversation for you if you are uh, a parent of someone who is in that stage this is also going to be a very good conversation for you as well. So I would encourage you uh, to take a listen to this. Um, if, you, if you do not subscribe, this would be a great time, great time to uh, consider uh, writing a review on iTunes, uh, just letting me know how things go. But uh, conversation today is going to be great, and so I know you guys are going to enjoy it, so I'm going to get off here and stop yammering. So without further ado, uh, my new friend, Jonathan McClellan. Jonathan, man, good to talk with you. Hey,
0: brother, I appreciate you. Thanks for doing this. It's good to be on. And you,
1: and you are you are like in the middle of Dallas, like in the middle of of the city. Like you showed me the window out your office, and you're like traffic going by, kind That's of place.
0: Dallas, yeah. There's hundreds of thousands of cars going by as we speak. Uh, we are at one of the largest intersections in the United States, uh, 75 and 635, and the church sits uh, just on the southwest corner of that intersection. So,
1: And you're the campus pastor of the Campus of Watermark, that, and it's technically the Dallas Campus, or what's the name for it?
0: That's correct, the Dallas Campus. So this is our, our first campus, uh, the first real estate that we owned, if you will, and uh, we have... Uh, between thirteen and twenty acres, right here, and then we also have a campus in Fort Worth, one in Plano. Uh, we're launching one in uh, Frisco as well, and, and then the porch is this other thing I do is a young adult ministry, and so I, I have wear a lot of hats. You know, and I know you can relate.
1: Yeah, and so the porch is probably where. Uh, the bulk of your story and the book we're talking about called Welcome to Adulting, you can tell a lot of that came out of the porch. Talk a little bit about how the porch came to be and, and what your role was there and and uh, some some reflections you have on that that time.
0: Yeah, so I, I was raised, I'm going to back up if I can just kind of start with some of my story. Uh, Casey, I was raised um, in a Catholic home or my dad was Catholic. I went to a Catholic uh, school for nine years, Catholic church. And then when college came, I was also my mom was Lutheran, so my parents went to separate churches. All you know, growing up, I never even knew that was weird, and um, and then when I went to church, I had nothing to do with God. You know, I did whatever I wanted to do, and then uh, I say all that to when I moved to Dallas. I was at a bar 16 years ago, and someone invited me to Watermark, and I went. and I was hungover. I sat in the back row, and I began to wrestle with what do I really believe about God, and so I trusted Christ. I became a Christian uh, as a. 20 something, I was 21 years old. And so my heart is my heart has grown for ministry has always been for the 20 something, the person who's coming out of college. Uh, they, they abandoned the faith of their parents and they're beginning to wrestle with, okay, there's a world. Um, I'm going to die. Something's going to happen to me after I die. If there's a creator, I want to know who he is. And so I've just always had a heart for 20 and 30 somethings, uh, call them millennials, uh, Gen Z coming on the scene, whatever label they are. But just for me, it's, you know, uh, men and women in their twenties and their thirties or who I love to pastor and minister to.
1: Yeah. And so when you, the porch, how long were you uh, and you were in leadership there at, you got into the point where you were kind of leading through the porch. How long, what, how long of a season was
0: that? So, so from that story, you know, that bar, 16 years ago, five years later. So, a guy started pouring into me, discipling me, teaching the Bible. I was in corporate America. I was basically everything wrong with Dallas in one person. I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 30 and was just pursuing the world. And the Lord continued to take real estate uh, over the real estate of my heart. And I was called into ministry, almost like a Saul to Paul road to Damascus kind of story. And um, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And I never thought I'd work for the church. Well, five days after that, and this, Begs more questions. A guy calls and says, hey, from the church, and says, I have a job I want you to consider. I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, this is crazy. Uh, how did you know? And he was like, man, I had no idea. I was praying. Lord, put you on my heart this morning. Like, what? Serious? So um, interviewed for a job here at Watermark as a community director for young adults. And this ministry, The Porch, had just started. And it was about 100 people that would gather on Tuesday nights. And so I would do announcements was, was my job and in involvement with the porch. I'd kind of do announcements and uh, say a prayer and transition to the worship guy. And, uh, and the guy who started it left a, a couple of years later. And when he left, I had taught once or twice. And um, you know, eventually they said, hey, why don't you teach on Tuesday? And uh, so took that over, um, let's see, 10 years ago, began to be the primary teacher of the porch.
1: So in ten years, it, what I'm what I'm hearing is there's a lot of the porch and your participation there that integrates with the way you have been formed, like the way God has shaped you uh, from the bar to the back to the porch to yeah. you know being invited to be on, on staff and now you know an even more expanded role with Watermark. Um, When we talk about formation, I talk about formation all the time, it's it's about the formation of the whole person. And a lot of that is about gaining wisdom. So when we talk about on the podcast about wisdom, I always like to ask people this question because now that I love that we've talked about your story, because now I think people... Uh, the folks listening are going to le- hear this definition a little differently. But I always ask, you know, if you were going to start, I'm not going to ask you to do the whole thing here because that's just unfair. Uh, if you were going to start defining wisdom, where would you begin?
0: Yeah, so in Proverbs 9, 10, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And um, and so I do think it, it's, it begins with an acknowledge uh, and a worldview that there's a creator and that the creator has a purpose for us. So the worldly definition of wisdom is is the gaining of knowledge for application, and um, I think as as we participate in this world, uh, as we live the human experience, we we have to start. Okay, wh- where where are we going to get knowledge? And you, there's so many different places you can get it in you know, our whole lives through school and uh, everyone, you know, our experiences, what our parents have said, those who've gone before us, uh, we're constantly gaining knowledge. But if there is a creator and, um, and he's made this world and he's placed us in this world and he has a purpose for us in this world, then that really is uh, an acknowledgement of him and understanding who he is, the fear of him or the respect of him, the, the awareness of that he is, I think, is the source and the foundation of all wisdom.
1: Yeah. And it's into the perspective that you have on this is interesting. And especially from working with younger generations, Um, I always say, I love that passage from Proverbs about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. However, it always depends on what your picture of the Lord is. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a writer named Richard Rohr said, our image of God determines how we live. Well, you know, or A.W. Tozer, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have a God in mind that is the scary, shaming, vengeful form of God, then fearing that God is a different kind of wisdom altogether. So as you, as you have grown and developed, and also as you have taught wisdom and guided uh, another generation through the porch, how, how do you help that idea of crafting a picture or an image of God for them?
0: Yeah. You know, Tozer said, what we think about God, uh, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Like you said, I think probably the second most thing, uh, most important thing about us is what we think, uh, God thinks about us. And that really has a huge, uh, uh, really shapes our view of God. And so, uh, you keenly begin to ask me my story and my involvement with the porch that really, the narrative has changed for me throughout the years. And so when I was in college, uh, the reason that I didn't want anything to do with God is because I was doing all of these things that I thought, God, this, this sheriff in the sky, if you will, this police officer uh, was just kind of waiting to catch me and to put me in a cage. And, uh, and so I basically was spending those years running from him, and so, I, To answer your question, I share that story with folks and, and also just you know, as we teach from the Bible, open up the scriptures because it really paints a picture of God that if we have it all in context is this incredible story of God chasing after us and pursuing us and wooing us and wanting a relationship with us and going to the, the most incredible, unfathomable lengths uh, that we could even dream up to to try to catch us and and not not to put us in a cage but really to set us free to pull us out of a cage and so just continuing to put that in front of young adults and millennials uh try to give them a biblical worldview i mean that's a bullseye for me is hey i want you to see the world through the lens of the scriptures that's how i believe it was meant to be seen
1: yeah with along with that um I want to get to some of the key themes of the book, but along with the the scriptures, how how do you integrate? There are so many, um, we all have, you know, influences in our spiritual life. So uh, the scriptures are one, Uh, the tradition we grow up in is another. Um, There's a very different taste and texture to a Southern Baptist spirituality versus a, you know, Mainline Protestant, and then you, then you just throw it into different regions. Like I grew up in southern West Virginia as a Nazarene. Well, Nazarene churches in southern West Virginia are wildly different than midwestern Nazarenes. So, so how do you manage, especially in younger, and especially in, in yourself, but also in other uh, younger generations, all of the influences that surround and, in some ways, translate Scripture for them?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think because um, we can put too much emphasis on the on traditions that we've been exposed to, too much in, uh, emphasis on uh, the journey that we've been on, and and then too much emphasis on the word you used, our own experiences. So a lot of times, I just start with like, hey, imagine, and I, I think I stole this from Francis Chan, maybe, but imagine if you just were on a deserted island and you just had this book and you're reading it for the first time what are the truths that you think God would want you to pull from this book and and then also just teaching them to read it in the context of what it was written and so if it's if it's poetry like let's understand that this is poetry if it's a sermon for example the Sermon on the Mount let's understand who is Jesus preaching to and then what is the context what's the truth that he wanted the audience there to to grasp and then what is the eternal truth that that the Holy Spirit has preserved it now for thousands of years that he wants to everyone in eternity to to grasp and so teaching people to read the Bible and I think uh, something someone told me once that was really helpful and informative is they just said hey read the Bible like you're going to teach it and um, and that that helped me because uh, I struggle to read and I, I, I don't um, not a literary learner um, audible learner and a visual learner and so as I would read it like okay, how would I explain this? What is God saying, and how would I explain it? And then I gave my myself time and space for the Holy Spirit to work and just to pray through what I was reading. Uh, that was that was very informative in the way that I teach and and even understand God's word. And so I think a lot of what we do here in the South, you talk about cultural context, is is undoing. You know, it's like hey, you may have heard this, um, but let's let's question that for a minute. Let's ask questions around that. Maybe you've been curious and and uh, have even wondered, "Hey, is that true? Where does that come from? Is that a tradition?" And so, just learning people, learning, uh, helping people learn to ask questions has been really helpful.
1: So, context. So, I love that you bring up context because I think that's a really important point. Uh, because your book in Welcome to Adulting, it, it seems like to me what you're doing is a couple things. One is. you're actually educating, at least this is the way I felt when I read it, you're actually educating two different generations. On the one hand, uh, you're talking to a generation that is growing up and sort of entering into life. On the other hand, for somebody like me, who's an Xer, or for my boomer friends, you're also helping us identify the context in which the next generation is really focused. Because the big themes in, in the book revolve around purpose, around work and money, around authority, around relationships. You talk about fear in the book, which I think is really important, and then eternity. And so you're kind of building a picture not only for the generation that you're, that's your audience, but also for the folks who are reading it going, oh, so that's what everybody's concerned about. When you, when you think about that, and one of the quotes in the book that I think feeds into this is when you said, faith is not a byproduct of life, it's life as is meant to be lived. And that sort of brings the big umbrella. Um, how have you, uh, how have you spending time in all of those different areas? How has that shaped you? And w- what are some surprising things you've learned as you've walked with people through those different areas of life?
0: Yeah, I think. Um, so I think two surprising things with people in general is um, is is how much they grow, and then how little they grow. And so sometimes just how the Holy Spirit grabs somebody's life and they there's just something awakened and they want to uh, live their life radically for Jesus by faith, as you're pointing out. And then sometimes, you you know, the, the seed is planted and you come back a year or two later and they're still struggling, still stuck in the same sins, the same patterns, the same routines, still haven't quite found their purpose or they're not living it out. And so that's been uh, two of the biggest surprises. Um, and then I just think I love... I love the way that God radically works in someone's life when they begin to live by faith, and so it's not—it's not a byproduct, but it really is. Um, it, you know, it, we we talked about wisdom already, but it's—it's it's, hey, everything we do. God says anything that we do that's not of faith is sin, and He He goes to make it that polarizing, that that um, uh, you know, the contrast there is just like hey, it's either it's either of faith or it's sin. And, and, if it's, if it's not a faith that is sin. And so I think, uh, that's, that's something that has surprised me as well Is just how much young adults want to live for God. Um, and just as, and they, we, we've, The church has babied them or really not called them to anything, but, uh, they don't want to be babied. You know, they want to say, Hey, come and change the world. And Jesus, he has a radical message. He's asking you for everything. And they respond to that. They're like, man, I'm in, let's go. I'm in on that. That's, that's much more fun than the bar or the club or, you know, other things I'm living for.
1: To dive into that I want to go back just a little bit to something you said because i I think probably people listening put an earmark here too. the idea that if whatever we do that's i think you said it uh whatever we don't do out of faith whatever is not done of faith is sin yeah help me with that a little uh, unpack that a little bit more
0: absolutely um, so it it's straight from the scripture I was looking it up um you know, I think that God desires most from us to trust Him, and so that—that's what He's looking for from His children. And I and I empathize with that as a dad. You know, I want my—I want my kids. What what I ask them to do, I understand it doesn't always make sense to them, but I hope that what I ask them to do is always motivated by love and based on the knowledge that I have and just my uh, desiring. Uh, you know, God's best for them. And so in the same way, God has all knowledge. I mean, he sees the the end from the beginning and, um, you know, he knows the way things are going to play out. And so we can, we can trust him. And I, I think about this really powerful equation that, you know, God controls everything. Think about that, the sovereignty of God, plus he is good. So God controls everything. Plus he is good. Plus he loves you. So he controls everything, he's good, and he loves you. If we really grasp those three ideas, then then what are we left with but peace? And uh, and so another way to say that is um, that peace that I think we're meant to have as believers, it comes by way of faith. Um, the scripture says it's by grace through faith. You have been saved, so grace comes to us through faith. Uh, you know, Wisdom comes to us through faith. As we read that the word of God is an act of faith following Jesus comes to us by faith. Um, and so really when, whenever we do something that's not trusting God, you know, that is sin sin defining sin as missing the mark or or missing out on God's best for us. So if we do anything that is, that is not out of us trusting God, then we've missed the mark.
1: Hmm. I wonder though, that, that brings a very broad, when it comes to, in terms of, uh, everyday life are there things that we do that we don't think of as being done in or out of faith is there are there things we do because that's that the broad picture definition is is really interesting because it invites some things whenever we say anything that is then isn't you know when we when we put those categories together so it's like you know you could take simple things and, I, and I'm doing this for a reason, so yeah. hopefully everybody listening gets that. So little things like, you know, I ate my lunch today or I i drove, the, I drove to work today. Doing those in faith, I mean, do, is it that people, do we actually think that way? Or is it just, does, do some things just become kind of no. second
0: nature? No, my hunch is most of your listeners do not think that way. Um, that we're that we're never or very rarely asking the question, hey, is this a faith or not? And yet um, and yet we do any, and, you know, when we um, when we go to eat that lunch and we stop and we give thanks to God. I mean, that's an act of faith, an acknowledgement that he's provided it uh, even to understand that our bodies need food for nourishment. Um, is, is, is operating out of, out of faith that, and or wisdom that has come through faith. Someone's told us that, or we've observed that. Um, uh, I think it's just, you know, it's, it goes back to your wisdom. It's like an, everything that we do that is begins with an acknowledgement that there's a God, um, is, is faith. And so, um, whenever we consciously make a decision not to trust that God, then we've fallen into the realm of sin, hmm. uh, so, if we I'm trying to think how that would play into your eating metaphor or, or description, but if we um, if we ate in a way that was dishonoring to him, um, you know that that would be sin. If we um, ate in a way that didn't trust him, uh, like or like the Israelites saving the manna that God provided, you know, for the next day when He asked them not to, you know, that was a that was not an act of faith. Therefore, it was sin. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. The challenge I have is sometimes it feels like we, we offer, uh, totalizing metaphors and sometimes we, we do that in such a way that we have to come along later and make everything fit into it right? in order for it to, cause there are some things that, you know, is the question would be then is, is there such a thing as faith on a, on a trajectory? Is there faith in the sense of development? more or less? Do we grow in faith? You know, Peter talks about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, and he addresses that to Christians. So there's this idea of you can continue to expand in some of those things, even in the midst of what, depending on the tradition you come from, what a faith relationship would be. So one of the things that's challenging about that is, especially as we lay foundations for next generations, especially as they're formed, is how how do our... So when I heard that definition and that idea of anything outside of faith is sin, I was like, so is that always true? Mm-hmm. Or is that a very good shorthand that then we can then qualify and say, well, l- let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I was going with that, especially in your role as a teacher. And as you're equipping this next generation, I'm curious how that... Yeah. how you work with those in your context.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's always an act of faith either. I mean, I think it, it could be a passive faith, a a, a general um, belief, you know, a, a generalized that our life is is ran by a general belief that there is God and, uh, and I'm seeking his best for me. I don't think it means like, okay, you know, as I eat this hamburger, am I eating this in faith or not, uh, uh, that it can be a, a passive faith. And more, what I think that verse is saying is um, is found in the the contrast of when we do something that is not trust out of of, that is born out of not trusting God that it is sin, Mm -hmm. and um, other than that, we're you know generally at least passively operating under a a general trust in God.
1: Yeah, and the other interesting thing about that is to think about uh, spiritual stages, and so where you get to work is in this really interesting spot where. You probably have some folks at the porch who are, you know, brand new to their faith. And you probably have some that maybe have grown up in church and are now in a different in a different spot necessarily. They've they've grown up in a church, they've participated, they've been there maybe since they were in high school or maybe before. Now they've either gone to college or they've started their, you know, careers and and the way they see God has changed. Uh, just because when we move from high school to college or high school to career, it just the necessity of stage changes means that our view of God changes, and so I'm thinking of people listening who may be further down the road who are in that stage that we would call the dark night of the senses or the dark night of the soul, yeah. where there's this feeling that God is absent, and to say, man, I don't, I don't know that I can live in that space of believing this is sin because. Uh, it's not that i don't believe in god i just don't believe he's necessarily there so looking at that spectrum is kind of an interesting thing uh yeah go ahead
0: i think i think you know and and a lot is, it comes down to what do you mean by sin so i always say this like sin is less you know it, it's it's grasping for less than god's best and you know sin is an archery term so our hamartiology hom- martiology is uh if if an archer missed the bullseye you know that was a sin um and so if we're grasping for less than God's best, I mean, some people have a high view of sin. Some people have a low view of sin. I, sin, I tend to live in this world like, hey, I think so much of what I do is sin, and that's why I need a Savior, and I, and I rival in God's grace. And I know that He's forgiven me through Christ. He's paid a tremendous cost for my sin, so I'm not, I don't delight in my sin. Um, I don't celebrate my sin, and yet I understand that um, that so much of what I do is with mixed motives, uh, so much of what I do is 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 uh, less than God's best. So constantly I am operating outside of uh, the realm of faith. And um, and so it's not like when I say that, I'm not it's not even so much a um, an action of someone you know, who's struggling, let's just say there's somebody listening and they're struggling with anxiety and they say, well, you know, is my anxiety a sin? Well, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, uh, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. And so I, w- I would say my anxiety is the result of sin, at least that, that in in a perfect world without, um, without sin, I, I wouldn't be anxious. So it's at least the result of sin. And then I imagine, you know, if there was a uh, if if I could trust God more in this area of my life, I, I probably would be anxious, or I'd be less anxious. And and so I don't get really too caught up in that. I just like acknowledge, hey, I am a sinner, and it just reminds me of my tremendous need for a Savior. And as an example, just in Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He puts the bar so high. He's like, you you've heard, don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even lust. And and to to, to not lust, and then uses hyperbole to cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. And I think what he's doing is saying, what I really want you to understand is how much you need a savior, um, and and to to live in that. And so I'm I'm a man who's soberly aware of my desperate need for a savior.
1: Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, we didn't get into it, but I'm I'm sure you would say when it comes to anxiety and things like that, there's a there's something about being anxious, and there's something about anxiety disorders. There's brain chemistry, and then there's yeah personality stuff that
0: yeah they're, and that's they're distinguished. a distinguished result of a fallen world just like there's cancer and um and diseases that i don't think in god's were god's first desire um but exist because of the fallen world and so in the same way when we talk about anxiety disorder someone's brain not producing enough serotonin um and it's not it has nothing to do with their will or their choices you know um I wouldn't say, well, that's that's because you sinned, right? I would Mm, say, yeah, but that's uh, that exists because of the world we live in is broken.
1: Yeah. So some of what we were just doing was interesting because it's it's diving deep and debunking and and clarifying and and so you can't. I'm going to shift without a clutch here a little bit. Uh, You cannot read any research on generations without hearing a whole bunch of different stuff, and so. Uh, since you're working in this spot of the next generation and beyond, uh, what are some of the things that just, fr- you know, there's plenty of prognostication out there about, well, they believe this or they feel this, or this is a value uh, for you. What have you found to be true? And what have you found to be like, that's not true at all?
0: Yeah, I man, I'm so glad you asked that. I always wonder like who the they is and the the, the so-called experts. And and I don't, you know, I, I, um, I, I don't, claim to be an expert per se, I just would say, man, I've just spent the last decade of my life with young adults and and have met with with thousands of them and, and have been a student of them. So anything that I can learn from that, I'm, I'm happy to share. And and it's certainly possible that I got a an, ex, uh, a, an exceptional test case, you know, or um, group and maybe they're the, the uh, not the norm, but I don't think that's true. But, um, You know, the the studies will say, well, they're, you know, they're extremely narcissistic. Uh, You'll hear that, you know, they're they're extremely narcissistic. And it's like, man, I think they're looking for something to live for that's beyond themselves. And so, um, you know, Jesus, it's almost like he knew we'd be narcissistic. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And um and so as he the bar that he has for us to love others is is how much we love ourselves. And in, in the disciples, the number one question they ask is, Hey, which of us is the greatest? They ask that about nine times through the gospel. Hey, who's the greatest? Who consider your right and left in your glory. Hey, Jesus, who was the greatest? And an argument arose among them as to who is the greatest. And you see that in Mark ten. And um and Jesus says, Well, here's what greatness is it's it's to serve. I think as you teach young adults that That greatness really is service. I mean, they're, they're up for it. They're like, awesome, man, let's, let's get on a plane. Let's go to an international trip where I can serve people. Let me walk across the street. We, we do this thing in Dallas where we uh, do evangelism, you know, downtown and work with partners and care for those that don't have enough food to eat or places to live and, and just love them in the name of Christ. And so, uh, I, I really think that they're up for that. Um, you know that they, they they want to be rich is another that their number one goal is to be rich. You'll read that. It's like I, I think their their real number one goal is to make an impact. And so what they've done is they miss they they have a poor translation of what it means to make an impact. They think well if I have a lot of money that means that translates impact. But if you again if you can instruct them it's like hey money doesn't necessarily mean impact. And you can certainly make impact without money. And so and and you can make impact with money. And and if you have it. You know, you want to use it in this ways and steward it. It's all God's, and so you begin to give them, as I said earlier, a biblical worldview. They really respond to that, and um, and then and then lastly, kind of what what your question insinuates is just you know we've we've really put this group in a special category, and I haven't found that to be true as much either. I mean, if they're Generation Z or Generation Y. You know, as you open the Bible and you look at Generation A and the disciples are still arguing who's the greatest, I mean, it's the same problems throughout decades, right? And they manifest themselves in different ways. So, yeah, they didn't struggle with Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat because they didn't have it, but they would have had they had it <laughs> probably. And, uh, and so we just we have the same struggles, just different tools to use in those struggles and, and to work those struggles out through. Um, that's, that's been a big observation, I would say, as I think about this demographic.
1: And so is is there anything that, you know, part of, it, it's one of those things that's a, a plus minus. So you have the minus of the fact that really, truthfully, Solomon or the teacher in Ecclesiastes is right. There's nothing new. Every generation has its own stuff and it's probably similar in different modes, uh, but the same theme. Um, so that's the minus side. The plus side is what are the things that we've, we as a society, a sociology have discovered about this particular generation that you think are helpful for people like me or for the church in general?
0: Yeah. Some of what I've already hit on is just this, like a, they want to do something to make the world better. So they're very green. Uh, They want to work for a company that, that it cares about social justice. They're very, have a very social justice mindset. And then to leaders out there that are saying, man, I really want to reach this generation you know, give me one thing that I can do. The one thing I'd give you is like transparency, vulnerability, empathy, um, be in two words, be real. Like no one wants to follow some fake pastor or fake leader. That's putting on a show. That's, that's running a shell game, trying to pretend to be something that they're not or preaching like their favorite you know, celebrity pastor. They want someone who who gets up there and said, Hey, this is how I struggle. Man, I get it. Like, this is, this is the, this is what the problems that I'm bumping my head against. This is what I did last night, you know. Um, and so just, just authenticity, I think, goes really, really far uh, with this generation. And unleashing them. And so we say, don't do ministry to people, do ministry through people. I think just bringing them in and saying, hey, you're capable. Now, you know, go do it. You know, that that whole, uh, I do it, you watch, we do it together, you do it, I watch, now you go do it, is a model that we've really practiced at the porch and that they respond tremendously well to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's that's important—the transparency factor. Um, I, I've noticed that myself. Uh, so that transition seems helpful. What is the what is the direction or guidance you would give to those who are who are doing ministry, helping to do ministry through this next generation, but also acting in terms of mentors, guides, coaches, maybe pastors, maybe people who uh, oversee a department of mostly millennials or would pick your generational thing, What what is the piece of advice or guidance you would give them? Number one, we've talked about, you know, be true, be real, be transparent. Is there anything else you've learned from conversations that you feel like would be helpful for a next generation, yes. uh, a person who's overseeing a next generation uh, yeah. movement?
0: cast a heroic vision. So the proverb says where uh, there is no vision, the people perish. And I think I found, and I think this is true for most people, that um, millennials, uh, young adults, they care about the why uh, much more than the what or the how. And so I can say, hey, we're going to go in the parking lot and and pick up trash. Um, I can even say, hey, here's how I want you to pick up trash. But but if I start with the hey here's why like God has given us this world to steward and uh, we're here for a temporary time and um, you know we're going to pass it on to future generations and we want to create a place for Jesus to return to and so we're going to go out here and and you know a way that we can change the world today is is one trash piece of trash at a time and we begin to talk about a vision I think they they really respond to that with having said that now in a new category I would say do not be super cautious to Overpromise and under-deliver. And so this is a group that has been marketed to. They've had telemarketers, the timeshare salesmen. They've had people, you know, pawning off credit cards, promising them the moon. And uh, and so they're, they're natural cynics or skeptics. And um, and so when the church is like, come in and, and come to the most amazing young adult ministry, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have lasers and lights and smoke and, and it's going to change your life. And then they get there and it's just kind of like, meh. You know, that was, okay, whatever. I kind of wish I would went to the bar. That's that's tragic. And so one thing that we did early on with the porch is we stopped spending our money on marketing and we started spending it on the product, if you will. And we just said, hey, I don't care if only two people come. Those two people are going to be so glad they came here tonight. They're going to want to tell all their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to pour into them and find out what their greatest needs are and seek to meet their needs and really care for them. And so um, that was a change we did early on. So I just, I put that as hey, don't over promise and, and under deliver, uh, be real, have a heroic vision, remember vision leaks. So you need to, to st- almost sound like a broken record. You're saying the same thing yeah. over and over and over again, uh, find the ones that will uh, just meaning like find people who are um, capable and, and want to make disciples and they catch, they've caught the vision and they're going to pass it on to others and pour into them.
1: It's beautiful, man. So the book, "Welcome to Adulting," uh, it releases today. How do we work this out? This worked out so well. It releases today, and uh, people can get a copy of that. So if they pick it up at the end of their reading, what is the what is the gift you hope they walk away with from
0: reading this book? Yeah, thank you, Casey. I I think that um, you know I, I hope like a roadmap, right? Um, that they they would they would know kind of where to go uh, how to make decisions, um, you know, what it looks like, uh, to, um, put you know, a lot of what we already talked about, you know, that they would find wisdom there, that they would know, uh, where to go from here, uh, um, how to make decisions. Um, they, they would, you know, as we talked about anxiety. So as I move through the chapters, I'm just kind of thinking through, them. Uh, you know, how to deal uh, with their finances, um, uh, what you know, how to look for relationships, who to date, you know, who to marry, who to ask out, that process. Um, and then at the end, you know, I just talk about eternity and what's at stake and the gospel and the beauty of the gospel. And, um, you know, the publisher encouraged me, they said, you know, you're writing to believers, you don't have to put that in there. I said, you know what, but I, I talked to believers every single week. And, and the most response I get to any message is always when we're just reminded of the gospel and, um, and what God desires for us and what he wants for us. And so, um, I, I, you know, when I was reading it for the audio, uh, and I got to that part, I mean, just really, I teared up. I got really choked up and I was like, man, I'm sorry. I was apologizing to them. And they said, no, I love that you believe, you know, what you're writing. And so my biggest prayer for anybody who would get this is that it would be helpful when they wrap up that last chapter and, and I hope you don't read it alone. I hope you read it in your small group that you, you get, you know, four or five other people to read it with you. And there's discussion questions at the end. Um, but when you close that last chapter, when you turn it last chapter, I hope you, when you put it down, you're like, man, that was really helpful. Like I feel like I, I know I have some guardrails, you know, in regards to dating in regards to finances, in regards to my career, my calling, my purpose, you know, what God wants for me. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 that would be my biggest dream. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks for the work you do. Um, there's a generation and, and people, you know, are listening right now. You need to know if you're listening, more than likely somebody who may be under the leadership of the porch and Jonathan and th- will end up leading a church in the future that may have an impact on your grandkids or may lead an organization that will have an impact on the world, which will directly impact you. So, so this is not a discussion about something happening in Dallas that may or may not affect the rest of us so that we can all be kind of happy about. It's, you know, generationally, um, we're all pretty mobile. I mean, I've lived in three states in the last 15 years. So we all spread. And so the opportunity for people who have been affected by this teaching to impact one of us is great. So thank you for what you do. Thanks for the, the gift of the book and your time. And uh, I'm going to put some information on the notes of where people can connect with you and communicate with you. But man, until then, thanks for being on the on the podcast.
0: Brother, thank you so much. And just I love the way that you ask questions and you know reject passivity and the reject the norms and uh, just dive in there and 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 peel back the layers for people it, it's something that I think honors God and and I hope strengthens the church and so I'm really I'm really thankful that you'd have me on the day and and I hope I hope your listeners continue to follow you because uh, you're a guy that I think is asking the right questions so I appreciate man. that
1: yeah thank you thanks so much. Hope you appreciated that conversation, Um, Jonathan's honesty. And uh, we got into some theology there. (laughs) That was fun. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope this episode was helpful. Uh, I'm going to link notes to Jonathan's book. And some of the other things we talked about on the show notes, uh, you can find those uh, underneath the post on the blog. If you're streaming this through my website, CaseyTigret.com, thanks for doing that and for listening that way. Again, if you you can always subscribe and listen through iTunes, rate and review there as well. Uh, you'll find some uh, you'll find our other episodes that have already aired. Uh, on there as well. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this, and this is a good time. You need to jump out and order Jonathan's book. Welcome to Adulting. Give him uh, a push as he launches it, and uh, I know that uh, I know that it'll be a good experience for you. Uh, over the next couple weeks, I'm going to be in and out a little bit, so I've uh, got an episode coming up here in a little while about how we talk to each other. Um, I think that'll be enjoyable for you. i got an episode coming up uh, about addiction. And uh, so if you you wrestle with that or know somebody who does, uh, that'll be a good guest that you want to hear from in the next few weeks. But uh, until then, my friends, be well, live wisely. Peace.